All right, um, this is, a, of course, a special service, October 24, 2021. We've got this big rain and wind storm outside. It's knocked out power. Uh, but for the faithful remnant, and I was just reading in Isaiah 6 this morning about the faithful remnant, there will be a remnant who are still going to be in the land worshiping God. And I'm going to call this group the faithful remnant right here. So praise God for you guys. Uh, we, as you know, we're in a series uh, called Servant King. I would love to show you a graphic, but I can't. <laughs> but I just want you to picture the, the, the crown of thorns that Jesus wore. In fact, he didn't sort of wear it voluntarily. It was pressed down into his head by the Roman soldiers who were mocking him as if he were a fake, false imposter of a king, but actually Jesus was the king of kings. And so in the shadow of that crown of thorns, there is a, a real shadow of a crown. Jesus is the king of kings, but he didn't come to rule in the same way that most of the kings in the world came to rule. Jesus came to serve, not to be served, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so uh, Jesus laid aside his rights. He came to lead, he came to serve, and he gave a life of selfless service, and we're going to see him in action today doing that very thing. Jesus is going to show us what a true, what a good, what a noble king is like. Now, today I've got an opening question for you, and the question is this. Do you have any memory of a time when someone trained you well? Do you have a time in your life when somebody trained you well? Let's say you were a kid trying to learn baseball and there was a coach or maybe it was your dad or your mom or a relative or a big brother or sister, somebody who maybe taught you how to throw a ball or catch a ball. Let, let me tell you in the beginning stages, being able to catch a ball is very important because if you miss that ball with your glove, now I'm a lefty, so you see I'm holding up my right arm. If you miss that ball, and I did more than once in my life, the ball keeps going. Have you noticed that? That even if it misses your glove, the ball keeps going and it can do some damage on your face. So learning skills like that are important. Uh, how about how to kick a soccer ball? Kicking a ball low and hard. I, I remember training, I was a coach with our kids and with my nephew Josh. And I remember my nephew Josh, uh, he was a great soccer player. He was fast as lightning, and he could kick the ball really hard. But Josh had one of those habits, which I know a lot of young soccer players do, and that is when they kick the ball hard toward the goal, what does the ball tend to do? It tends to fly up high, and it tends to go right up over the goal because they're, they're getting their foot too far under the ball. Does, it, does anybody relate to this? Anybody play soccer ever in your life? Okay. Okay. Uh, so the, the real key in scoring a goal in soccer is kicking the ball hard, yes, but keeping the ball low. And so I used to tell our kids, and now I'm telling our grandkids, I say, keep it low, J-Lo. I, 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 I tell them that to try to get them to focus down on the ball and keep hitting the ball low, drive through with your leg low, not high, and you'll keep the ball low, and it will go in the... Um, it will go in the gold more and it won't fly over the top. Uh, anybody ever taught you how to cook, uh, how to bake? My granddaughter's learning how to bake with Mama Lisa right now. Um, anybody in English ever teach you how to write a proper sentence? You can thank God for your English teachers who 
taught you grammar. Back in the old days, we had to diagram sentences. We had to learn that what is an adverb and an adjective and a proverbial phrase and the predicate and all this stuff. And it makes sense because in order to write well and to, and to be able to read and understand what somebody's trying to convey in their thoughts, they have to be trained in how to put sentences together. How about math? How about the old solve for X? You know, 2X plus 6 equals 12. And you go, solve for X, okay? And somebody who, had, who taught you how to do that. How about some more practical trainings? Like, how do you change a tire? How do you uh, change the oil in your car? Uh, how do you uh, find a flashlight in the dark? <laughs> maybe, maybe some certain things that are going to be, that in a certain point in life, are going to become really important. So for somebody who trains you well, somebody who trains you well, they need to have two important qualities. The first thing they need to have if they're going to train you well is they need to know how to do whatever the skill is. They need to know how to do that skill well. And then the second, that person needs to have the patience and the know-how to be able to teach you the skill, right? Have you ever been sometimes with a coach or a teacher or something and they just don't have any patience and if you don't get it right... The first time or the second time, they just like throw their hands up and, ah, I can't work with you, you know, kind of thing. So you need to have a trainer be patient with you. Um, by the way, uh, the word teach in Spanish, does anybody know that verb in Spanish to teach? Anybody? Yeah, Luke. Enseñar. Excellent. Enseñar means to teach. Did you know that another way of translating that verb also means to show? So if you're going to teach somebody how to do it, sometimes you're showing them how to do it before you ask them to do what you just did. So we're going to see miracles today. We've been seeing miracles by Jesus for the last few weeks. You remember he calmed a storm. He healed a multiply demon-possessed man. Uh, he healed a woman uh, with a 12-year blood disease. He raised a child from the dead. We've seen amazing miracles by Jesus. Today, we're going to see miracles being done, but not by Jesus. We're going to see miracles being done by his followers. And the reason that his disciples are able to do these miracles is because Jesus was training them well. So this is the first time we're going to see. We're in Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. If you have your Bibles, I cannot say, please look up on the screen or or take out, but if your phone has battery life in it, you can use your phone or you can use a good old-fashioned paper Bible in the pew. You can take it out. It's in the New Testament. Third gospel, Luke chapter 9. Uh, Luke keeps this narrative very short compared to Matthew. If you want to read this narrative in more detail as to what is actually happening and what Jesus says when he's training his followers as he's sending them out, you can go to Matthew chapter 10. Uh, Jesus had just shown his followers his power over nature, over demons, over disease, even over death, and now he's going to send out his followers on a short-term mission to do similar ministry, okay? So when Jesus called the 12 together, this is in Luke chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. When Jesus called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So when Jesus uh, writes, or when Luke writes, Jesus sent out the 12, I mean, part of me was saying Jesus has hundreds of people around him. He has 
thousands of people, many of whom claim to be his followers. Why did Jesus only send out 12? I mean, didn't he have more disciples than that? Well, yeah, he did. Uh, but these men whom Jesus was sending out right here, they were in a unique category. Back in Luke chapter 6, you might remember the story, but Jesus went up on, uh, in a solitary place. He was up on a mountain or something like that. The scripture tells us in Luke 6 that he prayed all night to the Father, and he was praying for wisdom, for discernment, for direction. And in the morning, after praying all night, Jesus came and he took 12 of his followers and he named them apostles. And so you have Peter and Andrew and James and John and Matthew and Thomas and Bartholomew and Nathaniel and James the Lesser and Simon the Zealot and uh, Judas who betrayed him. And there's probably even one that I missed. Philip, did I get them all? You guys can test me on that later. If you watch, the, if you watch this video, you can say, I think you got 10 out of 12. But I don't have the list in front of me. But these, these were Jesus's people that he was mainly training who were going around with him because he knew that after he died on the cross and he was raised from the dead bodily and he appeared to his disciples for a period of 40 days and then he ascended into heaven on the Mount of Olives, he knew that he was going to leave these 12 apostles in charge and they needed to know how to do the ministry that Jesus was calling them to do. And so Jesus is now going to give them this short-term assignment. So how do you grow in faith? I mean, what, what is the goal of discipleship? Earlier in Luke's gospel, he says this in Luke chapter 6 and verse 40. He says, the student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained. Now, isn't this cool? Everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. So if Jesus really trains these men well, these the followers of his well, they will become more like him. They will be able to do what Jesus did. Now, Chris Tomlin, I mean, this is one thing that makes the disciples who they are. I, you can look at these, this group of men. They were not educated. Jesus didn't go to the latest rabbinical school in Galilee or in Jerusalem and Judea and say, hey, give me your top 12 students. I've, I've got a, a training assignment for them. I'm going to I'm going to call them to be with me and go change the world. He didn't go to a rabbinical school. He didn't call out Nicodemus or any of the other learned rabbis of his day. Jesus went to these 12 uneducated, ordinary men, and he called them to follow him. And one of the greatest attributes of his followers is just plain old obedience. When Jesus told them to do something, they did it. Now, if you want to say, what makes a good disciple? Say, when Jesus calls you to do something, be obedient to it. Follow me, Jesus says. It doesn't mean read my word and study it and parse the Greek and tell me what it means in 14 different languages and then have more Bible studies so you can learn what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, yeah, I want you to learn what I'm saying to you in my word. I want you to learn my doctrine and my teaching, but I want you ultimately that when I call you to do something with the word of God, with the gospel, I want you to go. So like Chris Tomlin, he had this awesome worship song back in 2010. And he says, where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. And then he says, I will follow you. Who you love, I'll love. Who or how you serve, I'll serve. 
And he says, in this life I lose, I will follow. Jesus says, if you're willing to lose your life for my sake, you will find it, right? So we see a pattern in Jesus' leadership here. He's teaching and training his followers so that they can continue his ministry when he's gone. So he says, guys, whatever you saw me do in ministry, just do that. And for those of you who are in church, for those of you who perhaps have not served, I, I imagine a group like this, most all of you have been in church a while, you've served God in, in many different capacities. But for those of you who haven't really served yet in church leadership, it, it's kind of like this. You start attending church, you're learning a lot, you're enjoying the teaching, you're enjoying the music, the Bible studies, the fellowship with other believers. At some point, however, at some level, God wants to use you. God wants to use what you've learned about him in the Christian faith, and he wants you to go and share that with other people. So even if you're having, on, if you're having lunch with someone after church today, you could just start sharing with them what you learned in church today. Uh, and, and that would be a, a good start. And if you haven't been serving yet in anywhere in church, I'm reminded of this analogy. You ever heard of the football analogy at a football stadium? Here, here's Christianity in the world, and, and, and it's the analogy of, of a football stadium, right? In a football stadium, you have 22 players on the field who are in desperate need of rest being watched by 50,000 fans who are in desperate need of exercise. <laughs> so friends, the goal of discipleship is so that we will grow to be more like Jesus, right? So that we can, and we grow to be more like him so that we can think the way he thinks and act the way he acts, feel the way he feels, and ultimately do what Jesus did when he was on earth, that we would also go and make disciples. So what was Jesus up to? Matthew summarizes it really well. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 23. It says this, Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. What was Jesus doing? Traveling around, preaching the good news, the gospel, healing people, unleashing compassion, demonstrating God's great love for people. And so friends, it's time for us to take that football stadium analogy and say, you know what? It's time for me to get out of the bleachers and get into the game. It's time for me to join Jesus in his kingdom ministry work. So here's Jesus' instructions. He's sending them out. He's on a short-term mission trip. And Jesus says this. He told them, he says, take nothing for the journey. Take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. You know, this is exactly the opposite of what we did. I, I can remember uh, many mission trips that I've gone out to in my life. A couple to Kenya, one to Indonesia, many to Chile and South America, a few to Mexico, uh, one to Europe, twice to London on a mission trip. I've never done, I, I've never actually done this word for word obedience. I, I can't. I can't imagine in our day and age somebody doing this, but Jesus says, take nothing for your journey. Don't take a staff. Don't take a, a traveling bag. Don't take any bread. Don't take any money. Don't take an extra shirt, right? Now, wow, you talk about traveling light, right? Their ministry task was urgent. 
so much so that Jesus didn't even give them time to prepare themselves. This was just going to be a shorter trip. They were going to learn a few things. They were going to come back and they were going to evaluate with their master, their leader, their coach, Jesus himself. They were, they were to go out. And, and here's the key on this short-term mission trip. When you don't take anything with you and you go into a new town or a new city and you are completely dependent on God and you are also completely dependent on the hospitality of the people to whom you are going. They were to stay in the homes of people in that town who were sympathetic to their gospel message. Jesus, this is, this is crazy, a crazy training exercise. He was stripping them down to no material possessions. And when you have nothing, you are completely dependent on God. They were just to trust in Jesus. Now, we know that Jesus didn't do this all the time. We know that Jesus didn't make this a lifelong pattern of how to go out and do gospel ministry. How do we know that? Because in Luke chapter 22, in the upper room, Jesus says, do you remember that time when I sent you out without money or bag? Did you lack anything? And you remember what their answer was? No, we didn't lack a thing. God, God provided everything we needed. They didn't lack anything. Jesus provided for their needs. And then he says, but now you're going to go out and you're going to take a bag and you're going to take uh, provisions, et cetera, et cetera. The, the kind of ministry was changing later on, but right now, be completely on God. And then he says about hospitality, he says in verse four, whatever house you enter, stay there, stay in that house, whatever house you enter until you leave that town, until you leave that town. In other words, don't be looking for a bigger, better place. Don't be staying in the Hampton Inn and the embassy suites open up and you go, Woo, I'm changing the embassy suites. And then the embassy suites looks okay. But hey, the Ritz-Carlton's got an opening. I'm going to go there. No, he says, he says, stay in the place where you begin to whoever welcomes you into that town. Uh, in Matthew's gospel, in Matthew 10, I think Jesus describes this person as a person of peace. Find a person of peace in that town. Find somebody who is friendly toward you and the good news message about Christ and stay with that person. He says, if people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So here's the gospel, the apostles. They go out to preach the kingdom of God, to heal the sick, to unleash God's compassion. They were to accept whatever home showed them hospitality until they left the town. You know, if you don't have bread or money of your own, the apostles were going to have to depend on God. They were going to have to rely on the hospitality of their town hosts. They were not to leave their guests home to another bigger, more prominent place. It was just going to be a short temporary stay. It was designed, it was designed for this so that the citizens of the community, the citizens of that town, and by the way, there were a lot of people in Galilee. Josephus, who is, he's a Jewish historian and he is very prone to exaggerate, Josephus said that in Galilee in the first century, they were three million people in Galilee. Okay, that's very unlikely there were that many people, but there very easily could have been a half million people in that province of Galilee. It was a fertile area. It was a breadbasket of that part of the world. And so they, it, there were a lot of towns, over 200 towns and villages in that uh, uh, province of Galilee. So Jesus was sending them out. They had a lot of towns to cover. Uh, accept the hospitality 
of the of the first person who offers it for you and don't complain about uh, the the lodgings being too humble now why would Jesus say that? So that the message could go out, so that the person wasn't being accused of something or, or bilking the people for money or something, or staying at the, at the richest person in town's house because that's the only one they'd be willing to stay in. They didn't want anything to be a stumbling block for the message of the gospel. Now, Paul gives, uh, two, re he gives two commands to Titus about certain uh, ways to do church, certain ways to act in church in Paul's letter to the Titus and to Titus, and Paul says this, he, he says, I'm giving you this command and something good is gonna result. And then he says in, in Titus 2.5, he says, so that no one will malign the word of God. And then later on in Titus 2.10, uh, he says, so that by obeying this command, they will make the teaching about God our savior attractive. So here's the principle. When you go and do mission work, when you go and represent Jesus somewhere, you don't want to do anything personally to become a stumbling block, to become an obstacle to that person coming to faith in Jesus. Like that, you know, the, the person that says uh, they're listening to you and, and you're not, ex your walk doesn't exactly match your talk. And so the person says, you know, what you are doing is shouting so loudly that I can no longer hear what you're saying. Now, that's a, that's a convicting kind of a statement. What you're doing with your life shouts so loudly that I can't hear what you're saying. It's called hypocrisy. And Jesus said, don't uh, be guilty of hypocrisy. Don't put anything that would be a stumbling block in the way of your listeners being able to hear and understand and embrace the good news of Christ. Now, Jesus also said there are going to be towns. I mean, this is a great thing about Jesus. He gives, especially in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus gives a very realistic picture of what the apostles could expect when they went out into those villages in Galilee. Some of the villages would be open and welcoming to their presence, and they were going to not only preach the good news, they were going to heal the sick, they were going to unleash God's love and compassion to that community, but there would be other communities that they would go to and they would reject the message and they'd probably say, get out of here, you're not welcome. I don't know if you saw that Chosen series, but do you remember that occasion when James and John and Jesus were at this crossroads somewhere near Samaria and the Samaritans passed by and they gave this vulgar greeting to each other and the Samaritan says, we got a greeting for you Jews and they took rocks and threw them at them. And that's when James and John got so mad and so angry, this the supposed righteous anger at being rejected and saying, how dare you reject Jesus, the Messiah? And he says, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven on these people? And Jesus is looking at him like, do you know what kind of spirit you have right now? You do not have a godly spirit. So that, but there would be people who would reject the message. And to that phrase, Jesus says, if, if they don't welcome you, he says, shake the dust off your feet. Now, that was a common practice back in the first century. That's what pious Jews would do after they had walked through Gentile territory. They would take their sandals off. They would probably clack their sandals together. They would wipe the dust off the Gentile territory because they didn't want to be, quote, unclean from being around those dirty Gentile people. Uh, the Jews would highlight their separated lives. We live a life separated under God. We are, we are not mixing with uh, anything that would be unclean. And so 
uh, Jesus is telling his followers, look at that town rejects you two apostles because you remember Jesus sent them out two by two as a team. So they, there wouldn't be the discouragement of, of seeing them alone. You ever read that and you, and you say, Jesus sent them out two by two. And I said, wow. So two by two, they go to six villages instead of 12. You know, you ever, like you're doing the math in your head and say, wouldn't it be more efficient if he sent them out one by one? And then they could go to 12 villages and then 24 villages and then 36 villages instead of six and then 12 and then 18. But what's the, what's the principle of sending them out two by two? Well, if you have to ask that question and don't know the answer, you probably have not been in Christian ministry very long. Because I can tell you that when you are out by yourself, when you are isolated, and when you are alone, it is so much easier to get discouraged and to lose heart and to lose your zeal when you feel like you're alone in God's work. It is so much better to be part of a team and to work together. And it says, like it says in Ecclesiastes, that's not just a verse in Ecclesiastes 4 for married couples on their wedding day. It says, if two, if two walk together, or two are better than one, right? Two are better than one. They have a good return for their work. If one of them falls down, what does the other one do? Lift them back up. Doesn't kick them while they're down. Now, that's a, that's a bad marriage. <laughs> one of them falls down, the other one kicks them while they're down. That's not the kind of marriage anybody wants. When, when, when you have a partnership with somebody, if you fall down, you're hoping that they're, they're still got a positive spirit and they're still able to lift you back up. And when they fall down, then you carry one another's burdens and you thus fulfill the law of Christ. And then again, I'm just stream of consciousness here. There's another reason why we gather together live for church, because if one falls down, there's somebody else around them. If you fall down by yourself, who will help you get up? If you go to sleep cold, who will keep you warm? I mean, that's the analogy. So sending them out as a team is, is totally what Jesus was, was trying to do for their greater success. Now, what about these villages that, that rejected the message of the gospel? What did Jesus say about them? Well, in Matthew's gospel, chapter 10 and verse 15, Jesus says, truly, I tell you, it'll be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. You know, these are harsh words by Jesus. You know, you ever, you ever picture Jesus and you say, okay, Jesus, you know, he walked around, if he, he, he sort of looked like he was walking, but he was really sort of floating two inches above, above the surface of the earth, you know? And he was always, you know, he just had this kind of automatic thing going like this you know, all the time. And he was there to bless, and he was there to offer gracious words, and he was there to comfort. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in one, and all this stuff. And then you come across a verse like this, and you say, wow, Jesus, I guess you're feeling a little judgy today, aren't you? right? You're feeling like, and, but, but what's the point? Who has the right to judge? Who is the ultimate standard of good and evil? And who is the ultimate one who has the absolute right and authority to say, if you're going to reject the only means that God has provided to bring you into a right relationship with God, then you are going to be under God's judgment. There's no other place for you to go. So Jesus said it would be more bearable for Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah on Judgment Day than for that town who rejects those two apostles 
who are coming as official messengers bringing the good news of Jesus to that town. That's a scary thought. You remember Sodom and Gomorrah. Genesis 19, if you want to review it for yourself, you, you'll see the destruction. The Lord was punishing. The Lord was bringing judgment. And I want to just remind you, God's judgment is merely his holy righteousness applied. God was bringing judgment against a wicked, wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. He was punishing them for their disobedience. And it, it says in Genesis 19, 24 and 25, the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Then he overthrew those cities and their entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities and also the vegetation of the land. Now, here's my point. If, if Jesus is saying that Sodom and Gomorrah would have it better in God's judgment than the towns that rejected Jesus' apostles, then wow, how important did Jesus consider his good news message to be about the kingdom of God? How urgent was it that everyone hear and understand and embrace that saving good news message? So now it's time for ministry. The apostles have gotten their instructions. What did they do? Verse six, they, they set out. This is what makes the apostles good apostles. Jesus says, go and do this. And they said, yes, sir. And they went and did what Jesus is asking them to do. They set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. They were obedient. They began their circuit of these Galilean villages. They went with Jesus's power and authority. It wasn't just the good news message verbally. It was healing the sick, demonstrating God's great compassion to those people. So here's my, here's my point. If, you're, if you want to be trained by Jesus, if you want to say, I want to be your follower, Lord, I want to I be more like you, then, then he is going to, he's going to give you his revelation. He's going to give you his teaching. You're going to learn more about him. You're going to learn more about how, what Jesus did in certain circumstances, what he said, what he taught, how he reacted in certain situations. You're going to learn all that and then Ultimately, Jesus is going to tell you to do something and you're at a crossroads. You're at a testing ground. You know, the idea when the Lord gives you a test is he wants you to pass the test. But it's no guarantee because you still have your free will. You still have this idea of will I, will I obey the Lord or will I just say, well, not today. So you want to be like Jesus. Here's the, here's the point. You want to be like Jesus. That means that you value what Jesus values. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow. You want to be more like Jesus? That means that you get involved with what Jesus was involved with. He said the Son of, the, he said the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. You want to be like Jesus? That means that you will do what Jesus did and you also will become a proclaimer of the good news of the kingdom of God. Now, how do we know if the disciples obeyed? How do we know if these apostles went out and did what Jesus said they did? Well, Luke tells us. Go down to verse 10 in Luke 9. When the apostles returned, they, they reported to Jesus what they had done. You notice there's a lot of parables in the New Testament. There are a lot of parables about, uh, about this idea that there are certain people are giving certain gifts and talents. 
right? Some are giving 10, some are giving five talents, some are giving two, or some are giving five and two and one. Uh, not everybody got the same amount of talents or gifts, but they were all told to go and do business with this talent until the master returned. And when the master returned, here's the point, there will be an accounting with Jesus for how they did what they did. So the, the beauty of it was if, if I was being trained for this and I went out and I had certain success in certain things and other things I fell on my face, I would want to go back to my master coach, the Lord Jesus, and I would say, Jesus, this is what I did. This is what I said. What could I have done differently? How other should I have handled that? You know, this is what went right. This is what went wrong. Lord, I, I couldn't believe how open and receptive that people were in that village to our message. Or, Lord, this other village, they were tough. I can't believe how closed off they were and how unwilling to even listen for a few moments what we had to share with them. Did, how could we have approached them better? Maybe we said something like right out the gate that offended them or like that got off on the wrong foot. Lord, help us to do it better the next time. So we, it says Jesus began to train his followers. They were with him. Mark's gospel said when he appointed the 12, he said so that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. So two things about following Jesus. You gotta be with Jesus. It was in our, our word for you today, devotional this morning. It's like you gotta spend time with God and then he's gonna send you out and, and do uh, gospel ministry for him on his behalf. But the point of the, of the devotional this morning was it's not, you're not gonna have much empowering gospel success if you're not willing to spend time with Jesus. You can't share what you don't have. You're trying to talk to people about having a relationship with Jesus. Do you have a, a, an ongoing relationship with Jesus? So let me just sum it up, how Jesus trained his followers. Number one, he empowered them for leadership. He empowered them for leadership. He says he gave them power and authority to go out, uh, and to drive out demons, to cure diseases, to proclaim the good news. He empowered them. Right? So number two, Jesus gave them specific instructions. Here's, here's what to take, here's what not to take. Here's what to say, here's what not to say. Right? Whatever house you enter, stay in that house until you leave that town. Take nothing extra for your journey. I want you completely depending on God, and I want you to depend on the hospitality of that town because as they extend hospitality to you, they will be drawn to you and to your ministry. Number three, Jesus told them to deal with tough times, expect tough times and opposition. He warned them. He said, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. So be shrewd as snakes, be harmless as doves. Boy, that's a, that's a great quality to have. As wise as a serpent and as harmless as a dove. I don't know too many people that are like that. Um, if people do not welcome you, he said, leave their town, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So he, he gives them uh, instructions. He tells them, and you're going to get opposition in certain places. And then lastly, Jesus is holding them accountable for their work. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. You know, one thing I know for sure in whatever experience I have in Christian ministry and watching other people, certainly watching myself. You know, you ever evaluate yourself? Sometimes you're your own worst critic. 
Sometimes you need to encourage yourself as well. But here's something I've noticed in Christian ministry. Nobody does gospel ministry perfectly. Friends, we all make mistakes. We all fall short. We all have foot and mouth disease. You know, I, I was reading Tony Evans. He's so great. Where our men's Bible study on Tuesday nights, we're, we're reading through this book called No More Excuses by uh, Tony Evans. And he talks about Peter. And he says, Peter, man, that guy should have been wearing peppermint socks because he was always sticking his foot in his mouth. Yeah. I love I love that. The guy from Dallas bringing it. So it, nobody does gospel ministry perfect. We all make mistakes. We all fall short from Jesus' example. Learning how to do ministry better, learning to improve, it takes a while. It takes something to get the hang of it. It takes experience some time to learn how to be wise as a snake and to be harmless as a dove. I believe the best teachers in Christian ministry, I believe they are good coaches. They are good trainers, right? So Ben Franklin said this, just talking about learning and what, it, what the difference is, somebody just telling you something and somebody training you, somebody showing you how to do a skill. Ben Franklin said, tell me and I forget. Teach me or show me and I may remember. Involve me and I will learn. Chinese proverb says, what I hear I forget, what I see I remember, but what I do I understand. What I do I understand. So Jesus is putting us on a training regimen. And the point is, you know, he, he, he's basically what he did with the disciples. You notice Jesus' pattern. He says, look, let, here, here's the pattern of training. Jesus says, I do and you watch me, right? I do and you watch me for a while. And then, and then we're going to do it together. I'm going to do ministry and you're going to do ministry with me. And we're going to do it side by side. And then as you grow in your skills, Jesus says, you're going to do, like, like right here in this short-term training mission that he sent him out. He says, you're going to do and I'm going to watch. And then you're going to come back and we're going to evaluate. And then finally, Every disciple that is fully trained will be like his teacher, right? Remember that? He says, finally, Jesus says, you do. You're qualified to do the ministry. Jesus thought it was extremely important to get his good news message out to all these towns in Galilee. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And Jesus wanted everybody to hear that message. He wanted everybody to acknowledge him. And Jesus was serious about acknowledging him. In Matthew's training, part of the chapter 10 of this, the, uh, where he expands this, this short version in Luke, Jesus says at the end, he says, look, this is serious. People are going to either hear you, and, and in that moment, they're either going to accept your message or they're going to reject it. And Jesus says this. This is very important. He says, whoever acknowledges me, before men, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. In other words, if you're willing to go public and say, I am a follower of Jesus, I love him. I believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world. I believe he's the Son of God. I believe that Jesus has all the answers to life's questions. I believe that Jesus is the best way to live, and he's the only way to die. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But then Jesus says these other words. This is, like, this is like that judgment, like Sodom and Gomorrah. This is where we have to remember that Jesus isn't messing around with us. He's not playing with us. 
It's not a light thing to say no to Jesus. Jesus says, but whoever denies me before men, I will deny him before my Father in heaven. It, it's a serious matter on how you respond to the gospel message. Now, I don't know if today is the day for you. I don't know if today is the day that God is calling you and saying, I want you to follow me. You've heard about me. You've learned about me. You, you've, re, you've come to respect me. You've come to know that I'm more than just a regular human being, that I'm more than just any old teacher, that I'm, that I'm more than a prophet, just one who speaks for God that you recognize that Jesus is who he claimed to be. He's the son of God and he has all authority in heaven on earth and that he can forgive you if you humble yourself and become a follower of his. If you're ready to do that today, then we need to acknowledge that. We need to come before the Lord and pray together. So I'm gonna invite you to close your eyes and let's pray together. Lord Jesus, Today, I am coming to you in faith and I am declaring that I'm putting my trust in you. Lord, thank you for giving up your life on the cross for me. Thank you for sacrificing yourself out of your deep love and your compassion for me and for all human beings, for being willing to go to that horrible, shameful death, where it says you, you scorn the shame of the cross. Thank you for going to the cross for me so that I could be forgiven, so that through you, Lord, I could be set free. Please come into my life. Lord, change me from the inside out. Today, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your love. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for a brand new life. Thank you for a fresh start. And, and, and I want you to know, Lord, that I'm, I'm serious. I'm gonna be faithful to you. I'm gonna follow you all the rest of the days of my life until I get to see you face to face, until I get to go home and be with you forever. Lord, help me to be faithful throughout the rest of this journey. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Friends, I, I, I don't know if you prayed that prayer or if you're watching this message, but if you did, hallelujah. Because the Bible says that by believing in Christ, putting your trust in him, you just crossed over from death to life. So we wanna celebrate that with you. And we want you to take that next step in your spiritual journey. We want you to go public and say, whoever acknowledges me before men, Jesus said, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. I want you to go public and do what Jesus said, and that is to be baptized into Christ. If you're here and you'd like to be baptized, take one of those welcome cards and fill it out. If you are watching this message, you can go to our website, sebchristian.com, and you can go on that website and go to the, the tab that says connect, and you can go to the part that says baptism and click on that, and you can register, sign up to be baptized, and we will make arrangements to baptize you and celebrate with your family in Christ. Now let's get ready now as we celebrate communion.